Hello everyone, and without further ado, let us embark on part two of our history of Venice with the ripples of the empire. As Venice approached the 9th century, the community had began to make a ripple. Nestled in the turquoise lagoon sandwiched between Italy and Slovenia on the Adriatic Sea, the location of the city was perfect for lucrative trading opportunities. In time, Venice would build a key role in linking Europe with Byzantine trade ports. With proximity to eastern ports as well as peoples of the Byzantine Empire, the growing city became a middleman, receiving shipments from Asia and the Middle East, and then distributing them to various places around Europe. The exclusive rights to the Adriatic coast given to Venice by the Byzantines gave them almost a monopoly on eastern imports. This advantage allowed for them to thrive in an otherwise crushingly competitive market. Products of, from the so-called Orient were a particular favourite of Europeans, with products ranging from silk, precious stones, gems and medicinal spices. The golden goose of the Venetians, however, was crop. The Venetians had signed agreements with other Italian states, which designated them as the sole supplier of salt to the mainland. At this time, over 100 salt works were in operation at Venice, and, all, and, and, and various others were set up across Europe. As such, for the Venetians, salt was not so much a commodity as it was the grease and fuel for its motor and parts. Eventually, the Venetians honed in on wheat, and in later centuries, barley, rye, oats, and cereal became imperative when it came to feeding the multitudes of Venetians in the city. Authorities took it upon themselves to oversee all wheat-related sea trade for quality and quantity as well as price control. Later, Venice would also dabble in the trade of iron, oil and cane sugar. And as the empire grew, it was worth noting that Venetians were keen investors in the slave trade and aided in trafficking slaves east in return for precious metals. Thanks to their political association with the Byzantines, they also ended up taking over the spice trade, as well as minerals, gold, silver, etc. As Venice found its fitting and its foothold in international trade, it had to navigate the geopolitics of the region. Following the foundation of the city was decades of internal political struggle, as the Venetians disagreed amongst themselves on how to handle ties with Byzantine authorities. By the 9th century, in fact, a pair of brothers who had served as Doge joined with the Bishop of Zara and allied themselves with Charlemagne to stage an open rebellion against the Byzantines. Now this did buy them a small amount of autonomy, but also meant that Venice was caught between two powerful empires. The city needed to maintain a difficult balance in order to preserve this autonomy, and even though many of its leaders worked with Charlemagne, Venetians sought help from the Byzantines to limit his power in Italy. In other words, they played both sides of the field. A crucial moment, however, came when Charlemagne and the Byzantine Emperor clashed in war against one another. Venice, very clearly, was able to reap the rewards of the subsequent peace treaty, called the Peace of Nicephorus in 803, which explicitly defined the Venetian dukedom as an independent polity within the Byzantine Empire. As such, despite losses on both sides, Venice was able to gain various trading, cultural and political privileges. It is here that despite being Byzantine citizens that the Venetians began to see themselves as a separate people. And whilst the Byzantines were increasingly caught up 
In other conflicts in the East, the Venetians refused to accept a subordinate position in Italy. With a degree of stability returning to the region following the treaty, new trading opportunities arose which the Venetians took hold of. Another major benefit of the city's position between the two empires is that they were able to avoid falling into the feudal system of mainland Italy. Instead, a mixed government, a republic, was formed which circumvented the typical feudal conflicts that you see in, say, England or France. For the remainder of the 9th century, therefore, the republic was growing faster than ever before. And, as the wealth of the Venetians grew, they equally participated in the shifting global scene. Although their activities before 1000 are fairly obscure, it is known that the Venetians scored a series of naval victories and sought to establish military control on the upper Adriatic. Less than a century later, Venice was also fighting for control on the lower Adriatic and coast of Albania. And as they improved their military strength, they remained selective over which conflicts they would partake in a prominent reason why they had such success. Starting with 1075, when the Italian peninsula was plagued by conflict, Venice asserted its neutrality, and in the First Crusade, although Venice participated, they did not help capture Jerusalem, whereas Pisa and Genoa did. Instead, they held their resources close to their chest and remained strong until after the capture of the city, where they could then fulfill many of the new trading opportunities which arose when the fighting had ended. As the riches rained down on the city of Venice and the coffers expanded, so too did their confidence. One of the most important, but least understood figures was Doge Ordolafalo Faliero, who ruled as the 34th Doge from 1102 to 1117. Now, information on him is scarce, but his wife was Matilda Faliero, a relative of King Baldwin I of Jerusalem. Many preceding doges had claimed lands in the Holy Land and secured a multitude of free trading agreements, and Faliero was determined to continue this policy of territorial and commercial expansion. A few months into his reign, he assisted the King of Jerusalem in the capture of Syria. Bolstered by the smooth seizure of the territory, he went on to conquer Croatia, Dalmatia, and a few other smaller provinces. He was eventually bested in 1117 by Hungarian forces, but his hunger for expansion is not only the reason for his problems. Under Faliero was the construction of the Venetian arsenal. Seeing its true potential, Faliero knew that the Republic could take the world by storm. Nevertheless, the reinforcement of defences was crucial at this time, as in the 11th and 12th centuries, Venice was continuously bombarded by pirates. Meanwhile, more trouble was brewing on the Byzantine front, and they quickly saw the city's newfound prosperity as a threat. In order to counter the Venetian wealth, Byzantine officials constructed new trading agreements with Pisa and Genoa in 1169, and in 1171, Authorities demanded the confiscation of all goods and commodities in an effort to target all Venetian merchants in the empire. Though the Byzantines hoped to hit the heart of the Venetians, the city chose to remain quiet for the remainder of the century and wait for the empire to crumble in on itself. It was this daring and curing strategy that would serve the city well for centuries to come. And in 1195, the emperor, the Byzantine emperor Isaac II, was kicked from the throne and blinded in an attack by his own blood brother. 
The Emperor's son was captured and jailed, but was able to escape in 1201 and seek refuge in Western Europe. That same year, plans for the Fourth Crusade in the Middle East were already being engineered by Pope Innocent III. This time, the starting point was to be Venice, and from here a fleet of vessels would sail to Egypt, which was believed to be the weakest link in Saladin's Ayyubid Empire. The Venetians presented an offer which was difficult to refuse, as they promised to provide a grand supply of resources, enough vessels to carry 20,000 soldiers, 4,500 knights, and 9,000 squires, as well as 50 Venetian galleys for military support. Another bonus was that the Crusaders would be given enough food to last a year, the estimated time of their campaign. In return, the Crusaders would foot the 85,000 silver mark bill and give the Venetians an equal portion of the newly conquered land. With the terms agreed, the departure date was June 1202. Unbeknownst to the Crusaders, however, Venetian diplomats had stealthily reached out to Saladin and informed of their pending invasion, but assured him that they would not reach, the, um, reach their intended destination. At the same time, Venetian agents were in talks with the exiled son of the Byzantine Emperor and relayed their grievances to the tumultuous empire. In the summer of 1202, the Crusaders amassed their forces but had not been able to raise the 85,000 marks, almost as if the Venetians had planned this all along. They presented the Crusaders with a compromise, except the delay in payment if the Crusaders made a first stop in Zara in Dalmatia to reclaim the city on behalf of the Venetians. The Crusaders agreed and set sail on November 9th. By the end of the eight-day siege, it was no longer safe to embark on their journey and they were forced to set up winter camp in the city. With the Crusaders stranded, the Venetians contacted the exiled heir and both parties came to a side agreement that if the Venetians could find a way to secure the throne, not only would the emperor foot the bill, but he would also help them fight against Saladin. Understandably, the Crusaders were not happy, but they reluctantly agreed. And in 1203, the Crusaders arrived in Constantinople and carried through their contracted mission. With Alexios IV seated on the throne, he set out to repay the Venetians through heightened tax rates and repossessed church property. Morale in the city plummeted, as well as amongst the Crusaders, and in April 1204, Venetian agents quickly swooped in and planned a second agreement with the Crusaders to, once again, siege the city of Constantinople and depose Alexios to install the Latin Emperor. Following the 1204 Constantinople, Venice gained its independence in Lyon IV. Rather than burn the city, it was stripped of its wealth, including the prized quadriga of the Hippodrome, which today stood, stands atop the Basilica of St. Mark. With this, Venice solidified its trading empire and prowess. With the empire now set in place, the Venetians had full access to Eastern Mediterranean trade and provided them with a much sturdier shield that protected them from rivals. Equally, the Byzantine trading agreements with Pisa and Genoa expired and drove Venice's greatest opponents out of the sea. From here on, they would prosper, but they now had to maintain the empire that they had grown. Thank you everyone, and I'll see you 